0: I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now think for a moment about the people in your world. What do they think of your commitment to them? How would you rate your faithfulness? Does your loyalty ever waver? Do you have one person with whom your contract is non-negotiable? Once two friends were fighting together in a war. The combat was ferocious and many lives were being taken. When one of the two young soldiers was injured and could not get back to the trenches, the other went out to get him against his officer's orders. He returned mortally wounded and his friend, whom he had carried back, was dead. The officer looked at the dying soldier, shook his head and said, it wasn't worth it. The young boy overhearing the remark smiled and said, but it was worth it, sir, because when I got to him, he said, Jim, I knew you'd come. Make the most of your relationships. Follow the advice of Benjamin Franklin. Be slow in choosing friends and be even slower in leaving them. It is here in the Archbishop's Corner where Archbishop Leonard Blair leads us to the knowledge that will help us make the most of our relationships, yes, with one another and also with God. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for leading us into the Archbishop's Corner to show us the way into a closer relationship with God and with one another. How are you today?
1: Fine, thank you.
0: Now, before we get into a discussion on last Sunday's Corpus Christi celebration, Archbishop, I'd like to get your comments on the fact that the Supreme Court on Friday overturned Roe v. Wade, effectively ending recognition of a constitutional right to abortion and giving individual states the power to allow, limit, or ban the practice altogether.
1: Well, I've been... You know, engaged in pro life activities as a Catholic and as a priest and a bishop for many, many years. And it's been a great uphill effort involving so many people. And so I welcome the fact that Roe versus Wade has been abrogated by the Supreme Court and that now that means that the people of the United States will have a voice. In their respective states when it comes to the protection of life because that's what it really means is that people will now be able to have a voice in these matters uh, which was taken away by Roe versus Wade. I do think you know some people have said well it it was uh, accepted law or uh, received law well I, I point out that so was slavery in the United States for many years. Uh, but when people's consciences were aroused about this, it was overturned, even though the Supreme Court had upheld slavery prior to that. So these things do can, can change. Uh, but I think the important thing is that those of us who are pro-life have to do everything we can now to continue all the more to win people over to respect for life and also to provide the services we are already providing, the outreach to women in difficult circumstances. You know, our pregnancy centers here in, in Connecticut have really uh, been uh, helpful to women uh, to, to assist them in, in these circumstances. And, and, and we will redouble our efforts to do that as a church and all pro-life people of goodwill. So I, I do welcome it very much, and uh, I, I now we have to rededicate ourselves all the more to continuing to assist uh, women to who are particularly in difficult circumstances to bear their children.
0: We just celebrated Corpus Christi last Sunday. I understand there was a big Corpus Christi celebration. Can you tell us about that?
1: Well, yes. Ordinarily, uh, on our program, once a feast is over, we look to the what's coming. But I do want to say more about Corpus Christi, which, as you say, was a week ago last Sunday. And, of course, Corpus Christi can also be celebrated on the church calendar on a Thursday. Mm -hmm. But uh, here in our province, uh, and in most of them in the United States, it's transferred to Sunday, so more people can celebrate it. The reason for it having special significance this year is that it is part a conspicuous uh, moment in what the United States bishops uh, have inaugurated with regard to... Program of reappreciation of Eucharistic faith, a rekindling of Eucharistic faith, in in our country, that is a, a a program, if you will, or an effort, a spiritual movement, that's meant to extend all the way into 2024. In other words, that we we will be building up more and more catechesis and uh, education formation and celebrations about the gift and mystery uh, that Christ has given us of his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. So this year I went to Waterbury because Waterbury has had traditionally an outdoor Corpus Christi procession for a long time. It starts at Todos Los Santos, uh, All Saints Parish, the St. Anne Church. It then stops at Our Lady of Lourdes, uh, and then it goes on to the Basilica. So Bishop Bettencourt and I took turns carrying the monstrance uh, under a canopy with the people singing and moving forward. There was a a brief homily given in Spanish at at Todos los Santos, one in Italian at Our Lady of Lourdes, and then myself concluding in English at the Basilica. Uh, You know, I told the people, when I'm carrying the monstrance under the canopy, and I might add it was extremely windy that day in Waterbury, Mm. the poor men who were carrying the canopy really had to fight to hold it steady. But I see through the glass the host, and and I feel like I'm seeing the streets of the city as Jesus sees them. I mean, it's an important perspective for all of us to have, that the the Eucharist being processed through the streets is not inward-looking for the church, but it's outward-looking. I think in some ways— it, it coincides with Pope Francis, you know, of saying that the church needs to be uh, missionary discipleship, that we need to be out in the in the world and uh, with Christ, and I can't think of a better way to do it uh, spiritually than this
0: so are the bishops of the United States hoping for a new renewed appreciation of Eucharistic faith between now and two thousand
1: twenty four We're hoping that people will <laughs> that the Catholic people will wake up. Uh, Not all of them, because some people already are very devout, but when you think of all the many Catholics who don't even go to Mass anymore on Sunday, which is the Eucharist, Mm -hmm. uh, when we think of these surveys that claim that many even of our church-going Catholics either do not understand or do not accept what the Church teaches about the the, uh, real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, that what appears to be bread is no longer bread, what appears to be wine is no longer wine, but the body and blood of Christ. When we think of how the mass has changed in the last half century, and one of the things we have, in some cases, lost is a sense of devotion uh, about the Eucharist. You know, for example, in receiving Holy Communion worthily, uh, preparing ourselves, offering a personal prayer before, during, and after we receive uh, the the host in Holy Communion, things like that. That's that's the Eucharistic revival. And then, of course, it's not just inward looking, but outward that the the Eucharist in the world that if we are the body of Christ you know we are his hands and feet uh in the and his eyes in the world today by be, actually being incorporated into him uh then uh, we we need to to live a life of charity and of witness to the truth as Christ did in his ministry
0: today we are celebrating America's kids day and although i'm sure many parents would say that every day is kids day Today's a day set aside to teach children in America the value of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. While things are much different now than when you and I were kids, what do you think the children of today are missing out on that we enjoyed as youth?
1: Well, I don't want to sound like an old man, although I am an old man. No, we're not old, that old. old no. Well, we're getting there. Um, and uh, I, so, you know, there's always the temptation as you advance in years to look with a certain nostalgia about the past but I do think that whatever your age, uh, we who are adults need to appreciate the fact that our young people today are being pulled in all kinds of directions by the, the Internet mm-hmm. and by the cultural upheaval that's overtaking a lot of groups and people in our country. And a, a, a big part of that, too, is the abandonment of religious faith or at least religious faith with any doctrinal content of faith and morals.
0: When I was a kid, it was always understood that if it was a Sunday, I was going to church with mom and dad. Now, you would know better than I, that doesn't seem to be a priority for today's moms and dads.
1: No, it does not. But it that also has uh, moral and cultural implications, too. Mm. So I don't want to be a prophet of doom, but I do think, and I've said this many times, I've said it on the radio, I've said it in homilies, that many of our social problems today, which are very significant, and personal malaise and and, and difficulty, they're not just sociological or economic. They are profoundly spiritual. And unless we get spiritually back on track, we're never going to really solve uh, these other challenges either. So the best advice I can give to any parents is to live a Catholic life in which uh, prayer and the, the faith and mass have a, a significant and 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 meaningful role, uh, not just lip service, but or, or just outwardly. You know, Jesus gave us the Last Supper, the Eucharist, and how important meals were to Christ. Christ is often uh, depicted uh, or described as being at meals, and today we know that uh, many uh, families today don't even have a family meal anymore. True. That everybody's running around. And just doing their own thing or locked up on their computer or an intense sports program that doesn't leave any time to be together. Now, that's certainly not true of everybody, but it, it is happening. Those are the kind of fundamentals. They're not unrelated to the Eucharist, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Same thing with if a family meal is important for mental and social uh, familial health. Well, it's also true for spiritual health to be at the table of the Lord at Mass. And not just alone, but with the, your family, which is the family of the church.
0: Tomorrow, June 27th, is Decide to be Married Day, which focuses attention on the joy of couples deciding to get married. And we both know there's a decline in Catholic marriages. Why do you think there aren't more young people choosing to marry in a church today?
1: Well, there's a decline of all marriages, not just Catholic marriages. And uh, there's a decline also in the vocations to priesthood and religious life. It's all related. Well, I, I've, I'm sure we've talked about this before, that young people today find it very difficult. They're afraid to make a, 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 that kind of commitment sometimes because they see all the broken marriages and div- easy, no-fault divorce all around them. They see how people can get into very serious troubles because of the bond of marriage, and so they're afraid of it. And perhaps that some has something to do as well with uh, the priesthood and religious life making a lifelong commitment but unless we do that unless we we can choose something and stick with it through thick and thin if if you always want an escape clause that may seem good but in the end it it's, it takes quite a toll
0: i would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that wednesday june 29th of this week we observe the solemnity of saints peter and paul They're often spoken of as the two men most responsible for spreading the Christian message in the days of the early church. Talk about the importance of these two apostles to the beginnings of the church, Archbishop. Why do such great saints share a feast day rather than have their own?
1: Well, because uh, they are both hugely important. You know, St. Peter was the head of the Twelve and uh, remains in his successor, uh, or I should say his successor, Today remains uh, head of the College of Bishops, entrusted by the Lord with the uh, governance of the Church. And then St. Paul was called uh, in a spectacular way uh, to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And they both died martyrs' deaths in Rome. So Saints Peter and Paul, even though in the Scriptures uh, they were, had uh, some differing ideas at some points that were resolved amicably uh, through the gift of the Holy Spirit— but they became these two great pillars of, of, the, of the church. Uh, and so that's why we honor them as we do.
0: Well, let's take a look at our gospel reading on this, the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And today's reading is from Luke's Gospel, the ninth chapter. After the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts on what the gospel means.
1: When the days drew near for him to be received up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But the people would not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to bid fire come down from heaven and consume them?
0: But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village.
1: As they were going along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To
0: another he said,
1: Follow me, Lord. Let me first go and bury my father. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you,
0: go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Archbishop, your thoughts on this gospel?
1: Well, this gospel is one of those hard sayings uh, of Jesus, you know. Uh, Hard in the sense that Jesus calls for total, unquestioning uh, fidelity to him uh, as the Lord. You know, people are, in the gospel here are making excuses for uh, saying, well, I'll follow you, Lord, but first I have to do this and I have to do that. I have my work. I have my family. I have obligations. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says no one who sets a hand to the plow and looks to what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. This is one of those radical sayings that Jesus is saying that the most important thing in life is to follow him. That doesn't mean that we don't have those other obligations, but uh, it is to follow him and to give our life over to him and Today, all of us are tempted well throughout history, people can be tempted to be mediocre uh, mediocre or half hearted about faith in Jesus, but uh, Jesus says no, following me is the is the most important thing, the decisive thing that you have to do in life if you're going to fulfill the purpose of your life in this world, and be happy forever in heaven.
0: This sounds like it's very practical for us today because so often we can think of so many excuses as to why we're not participating in the Mass on a Saturday evening or a Sunday morning. So this is a very practical gospel for all of us. Yeah?
1: Yes, and it I mean, it's about who Jesus is. If Jesus were just a human being, uh, just a man, this would be blasphemous, you know, Uh, to put aside everything for his sake Uh, he'd be you know uh, we would say this is most unhealthy but it's precisely because Jesus is uh, God made man that God incarnate that uh, Jesus can uh, make such claims uh, on us and uh, that is at the heart of our faith
0: it's interesting Jesus goes through a Samaritan village but they don't welcome him because he's going to Jerusalem James and John see the animosity of the Samaritan village. They get angry. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus rebukes them. But isn't that just like us? I mean, someone doesn't accept us, and we retaliate. We want to destroy them.
1: Yes, well, Jesus uh, has his mission from the Father, and the mission is not to call down fire from heaven on anybody, but it is to proclaim a saving mission of salvation, a saving message of salvation. And that is also true today. You know, judgment is not now. Uh, judgment is something that is to come. But what is now is this free offer, a loving offer of God in Christ to accept the gospel and believe.
0: Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Nathaniel from Hartford says... I will be starting RCIA this year and have been thinking about a confirmation name for a while, but the only saints that have really resonated with me have been female. I am very much drawn to the life and work of Saint Teresa of Avila. Are men able to pick female saints for their confirmation name? If not, is there another male saint whose work closely mirrored that of Saint Teresa of Avila?
1: Well, let me answer the last thing first. Um, the, the, the male saint who mirrors St. Teresa of Avila St. John of the Cross, also from Spain at, in those times. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. This is a Anglo-Saxon, uh, custom of picking confirmation name. There's nothing in the rite of confirmation in the church that calls for picking another, uh, any other name than your baptismal name. And, uh, To my surprise, I found out that other countries, other languages don't do this. This is something that is part of our uh, custom. So if you're going to pick a name, traditionally, yes, it's been the name of, uh, at least in English, it's been the name of uh, uh, a a man picking a male saint and a woman picking a female saint. But in other cultures, uh, you know, very often in Hispanic culture, men have – you know, Jose Maria, they have Joseph Mary. Uh, so um, it's not forbidden to take the name uh, of uh, a female saint uh, for someone who's being confirmed.
0: And normally, your confirmation name doesn't become part of your legal name.
1: No, no, it, well, it doesn't, uh, at least not in... in uh,
0: Unless you in, pick na- your first name as it is. For instance, yeah. some people take their first name as their confirmation name or their middle name they take as their confirmation name too. Kate from Berlin says, It seems like every time I turn on the news, I am hearing of new attacks on pro-life organizations across the country. The attacks have been on the rise since early May when the report that the Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade leaked. Many pro-life leaders have called on the U.S. Attorney General to investigate the attacks as acts of domestic terrorism. These groups have vandalized religious organizations and crisis pregnancy centers, but there is fear that they will take increasingly drastic measures as time goes on. Is there sufficient security measures in place throughout the archdiocese? How can the faithful continue to stand tall despite the vitriol against pro-lifers?
1: Well, uh, yes, Kate, a couple things. This is true, uh, what you're describing, and I would simply say uh, that the Connecticut Catholic Conference is uh very proactive about this because there there is an uh, a group of pregnancy centers crisis pregnancy centers that have joined together uh under the um, umbrella of the Connecticut Catholic Conference uh, to to be concerned about uh, issues of of mutual uh, c- concern and interest to them and I do, I do know that the Connecticut Catholic Conference is being proactive about this uh in our state uh about uh, protection uh, and the rights of of pregnancy centers with regard to our churches and such i'm I'm relieved to say that i don't we haven't had any instances of of uh, serious uh, difficulties in that way, but throughout the country there have been situations where churches are being vandalized or attacked so we we just have to be very uh prudent and proactive uh, to make sure that we we are protected and uh, you know, I have no reason to think that the civil authorities in Connecticut would not be vigilant and helpful to us to to uh, to protect lives and property in these very contentious times.
0: Tim from East Haven says, How do I follow God's lead in my daily decisions? I know he's my shepherd and that he's leading me, but how do I know if I am following him?
1: Well, I think all of us— uh, <laughs> You know we have to have a, a well formed conscience, but we can't have a lax conscience that make that excuses ourselves from everything, and we can't have a scrupulous conscience uh, that thinks that we're always uh, falling short of the mark or we're doing something wrong. I think you know it's a gift of the Holy Spirit to have that serenity and peace and joy from within uh, to know that uh, we, 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 we pray and we seek appropriate counsel where necessary uh, to do what is right and good. And uh, obviously, the, what the guidance, the guide for this is the, 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 what the church teaches about the moral life and about life in Christ based on scripture and tradition and the teaching. And uh, that's what, and when we do fail, we, as we all do, we have uh, the sacrament of penance to save us and raise us up.
0: Now, Archbishop, I meant to ask you earlier, you were at this bishops' meeting, this retreat meeting last week. Is there
1: anything that you want to share with us about that? Well, yes. You know, every the bishops meet twice a year, all the bishops of the United States, and most of us are able to go to all of those things. We're really supposed to. Sometimes bishops can't go for one reason or another. But every three years, we have a retreat meeting, which is not business, but it is uh a reflection and a mm-hmm. time to be together to discuss our life as bishops and our challenges and and to encourage one another and we were blessed uh, to have a an archbishop come from Australia, Archbishop Fisher from Sydney, mm-hmm. Australia, who really gave us uh, beautiful reflections uh, beautiful talks uh, about uh, the faith about uh, our life as bishops, about the world in which we live and how we how we can fulfill our ministry in that way. It just, it just, you know, it's very important for people, everybody to do this. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, a retreat is a very important part of Catholic life. We ask our priests, expect our priests to go on a retreat every year. We're all obligated to do it uh, as clergy. Now, the bishops of New England are go on retreat every year, uh, but this is something different because it's not entirely well it's it is profoundly spiritual but it it's also about our our life as bishops and the challenges in the church today and how we can how we can minister better very uh, affirming
0: like very positive
1: yes it is very positive in the midst of all the challenges of today but uh, bishop Archbishop fisher really gave beautiful beautiful talks and uh it's a chance for us to socialize too, because part of this is not just sitting and listening to lectures, but it is for the bishops to talk to one another uh, to you know to talk about what we're facing in our diocese what we had discussion groups among the bishops uh, with various questions that were posed in small groups. you know what are our thoughts about this? what are our experiences about this? How can we be more fraternal as bishops how can what are some of the things that we uh, the common challenges that we face and how can we do it better so it, it's a very it, it's very good for people to get together uh, sometimes spiritually uh, to to uh, encourage one another and to Together, kind of seek a, a way forward in the face of the challenges that that we uh, that we have.
0: Let's see if we can't get in one last question, Archbishop. This is from Brenda from Farmington. Brenda says, "Can a priest refuse to
1: christen a child born out of wedlock?" Well, not really. I I. Th- but we have to. You know, I hate to say this, but because um, there was a time when this wouldn't, I think, even have happened. But I do know there are cases where. A priest is confronted with a situation in which there is no indication that the child is going to be raised in the faith, mm-hmm. uh, where somebody is just doing it because somebody is pressuring them to or whatever. And I know that priests may be tempted to say, I don't see how I can do this. Because, you know, giving baptizing an infant is kind of based on the faith of the parents and godparents. You know, they make promises to raise the child in the faith and all that kind of uh, thing. That's part of the, the sacrament. So priests have to be very careful not to, to uh, refuse uh, baptism uh, unless the the situation is so, I don't know, uh, so difficult that, that maybe he would ask the people to think of it better and maybe to postpone it. But not knowing that the, the particulars of any given case, I can't really— give an absolute answer.
0: You but, say, but I you, will
1: say that normally the expectation, of course, is that the child would be baptized.
0: One word that you said there that, that struck me, you said the priest may ask the couple to postpone the baptism. That indicates to me that perhaps the priest has a responsibility to then do some additional work with the couple to help the couple make a conscious decision to be more active in the faith so that the child then is truly raised in the faith and the baptism becomes meaningful for for everybody involved
1: yes but we we have to be very cautious about that about delaying it that way but i what i i guess what i'm trying to say is i could conceive of a situation in which a priest might do this but normally it's not the case certainly not the case
0: archbishop we've come to the end of our time together can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing please
1: Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have given us the gift of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, whose sacred heart is the source of all wisdom and knowledge, and from whose wounded heart comes forth the sacramental life of the Church. We pray that we may enter ever more deeply into these sacraments, especially the gift and mystery of the Holy Eucharist, so that living, as St. Paul says, not I, but Christ living in me, I may be a witness to the gospel in this world and one day come to the fullness of life in heaven. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week, same time. Until then, enjoy this coming week. It's supposed to be a nice one. Thank you.